And uh, as I was praying about what to preach, God, God gave me something. And then as I was working it out throughout the week, um, it was just interesting how many confirmations God gave me um, into this message. And so I know this is the message it has for today. Um, we were here last night praying, and you know, you've all been prayed for. Every single person that's here today has been prayed for. Because um, I'm not sure what God wants to do, but I know his heart today. And, uh, and his heart... <laughs> Anyway, let's, we'll start with our, our uh, scripture. Um, okay, I wasn't going to go through the whole thing, but um, let's see. We will do this after, so. We're going to start at verse 10. It says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of, my, of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now, I know I just prayed, but I want to open in prayer with this too. Father God, I thank you for this message that you've laid on my heart. Um, Lord, you have a purpose for it. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, hide me behind your cross, Lord. I pray that you would close my mouth to things I'm not supposed to say and open my heart to the things I'm supposed to share. And Lord, I just pray that you would open the hearts and the minds and the ears of the people, God, that they would hear not a message of condemnation, but a message of conviction and calling and love. And Lord, I just give you this, this, the rest of the service, God, in your name I pray, amen. All right, so, <coughs> have you ever done something that you felt bad about? Or have you ever had something done to you that the person felt really, really bad and tried to make it up? Um, I know I've shared before. Um, as a kid, I was the type of person that sorry was on my lips all the time. I was very quick to say I'm sorry, um, sorry, sorry, sorry. That was kind of my tagline, um, which frustrated my sister beyond belief. Um, if I did something to her, uh, I would say I'm sorry really quickly. And my parents would say, oh, she apologized. And my sister would say, but she's not really sorry. She's just going to do it again. And it's true. Um, that's exactly the way I was. Um, now, my sister, on the other hand, I honestly don't know if I can think of a time that she actually said sorry. But her actions always told it. If, if something happened, I can think of one time where, where I got blamed for something she did. And she was feeling really bad about it, and, and she never did say sorry, but she came, and, you know, she was giving me things, and wanting to do things with me, and trying to really make it up to me, and that's the way she was. Um, we're complete opposites of that. And today, we're going to look at um, two different kings um, that both had sinned, but had very different responses. And then we're going to look at what true repentance is. And how it brings holiness. So, our first king we're going to talk about um, is actually the first king of Israel. In the Old Testament, God had um, called out a people through Abraham and his descendants that were his people. They were led by prophets and judges. 
Um, but then the people of Israel decided that they wanted to be like everybody else around them, and they wanted a king. And so God had shared, got Samuel to share um, a warning about what a king would mean for them, but they still wanted a king. And God did um, give them what they wanted. So the first king that God anointed was King Saul. Now Saul, he was a good king for a while, but then he sinned. Um, he didn't wait for uh, Samuel, who was a prophet, to come and offer sacrifices. He was impatient. He did it himself. Um, but we're going to look at the second time that he sinned. Um, he disobeyed God. God had given strict instructions for him to follow, and he didn't listen. So, 1 Samuel 15, 13 to 30, it says, When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Uh, let me see. <laughs> Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Um, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Melechites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Melechites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than to sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's commands and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Now I beg you to forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not come back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught the hem of his robe and it tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors to one better than you. He who is the glory of, the, of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. Okay, so, um, we see, we see, okay, this passage, it shows like, that the first king of Israel had sinned against God. But we're going to take a little bit of a closer look uh, at how he responded. So, in verse 13 it says, 
First, he tells Samuel that he carried out the Lord's instructions. But then when Samuel points out that he can hear the sheep and the cattle, he tries to deny that he had sinned. Saying, oh, well, then they took them for God. You know, I think that we can get caught in that trap of denying that we've sinned. It isn't that bad. It's not really a sin. Um, I had good intentions. White lies don't matter. Well, we'll keep going. In verse um, 20, in verse 20 to 21, it says, um, he says that he did obey the Lord. Even as he's telling his story, he's actually admitting that he didn't. He says he destroyed everyone, but then he says he took the king. Um, but Saul at this point still doesn't see that this is admitting. Um, he's still denying his disobedience. Um, in verses 24 to 25, he admits he sinned, but then he goes on to make excuses. Um, you know, that they were keeping it for God, they were going to do it for God, and then he continues to say, I was afraid of men. So now he's blaming other people for his sin. He was never really sorry, even in the end of this, um, after he was told that he was rejected by God, he still wanted Samuel to forgive his sins, but he says right at the end, you know, I want you to come back so that the elders and the people of Israel will, will honor me. Um, so his heart was not about God. Um, and if you continue to read in 1 Samuel, You'll see that King David, I mean, sorry, King Saul was not a good king any longer. He gets jealous, he has a temper, he lies, he tries to kill David multiple times after he had promised not to. Saul's life after this encounter shows that he did not repent um, and has become very far from God. Now, our next king, which is actually the next king. Um... Right after this encounter that we had just read, Samuel um, is told by God to go to Bethlehem to anoint one of, of Jesse's uh, sons as the next king. And it was David. David was the youngest son. But it's interesting because the father didn't even bother to send for David. He assumed that God was going to pick one of the older brothers. Um, but most of us know David. Most of us have heard of David. Um, it's a popular children's Bible story. He's a Bible hero. We know that he, he fought Goliath and won. Uh, but, you know, we, we're, we're taught uh, the things about David because, you know, Israel um, was afraid of, of Goliath and the Philistines. And, and Goliath was not just mocking the army of Israel, he was mocking God. And here comes David, not part of the army, um, just this young guy, and he, he stood up for, for God. You know, he, he, he knew God was on his side. He knew that it was not okay that they were bashing God. And he went out without any armor, just his uh, sling and, and his slingshot and his little stones. And we know that he defeats Goliath. Um, after this, we see David um, becoming part of, of Saul's armies and part of, of, well, he was part of Saul's life sort of before this. But after this happens... Saul gets really jealous with David. Um, and David, there's, we see David, he still has a heart for God. He, he's 
he's all in. Um, he flees because Saul is trying to kill him. Um, and David has two opportunities and during this time to kill Saul, and he doesn't do it. He, he knows that this is God's anointed, and even though he knows he's the new anointed, he still would not touch Saul. Um, so we see David had, had a good heart um, towards God. Um, he was trying to live a life pleasing to God, and God was blessing him. He was giving him victories over the enemy. Um, but after David had, you know, many victories, uh, we see God make a promise to David to make David's name great. Um, and then he tells that his, you know, the, the throne will not depart from his family, um, and that there's a coming a future king whose kingdom will be forever. He's they're they're foreshadowing Jesus coming. And now David responded to that with, you know, a, a, a prayer of praise. And then there was times of more victories. Um, but then all of a sudden we see a bit of a change. So the armies are still fighting, but David stays home from battle, which is not normal. Um, and then we see in 2 Samuel um, chapters 11 and 12, we see David where he goes out and he sees the Sheba bathing, um, and then he commits adultery with her. He gets her pregnant, and then he tries to cover up his sin by calling home her husband, who just happened to be one of his trusted um, warriors, somebody that was fighting on his behalf. And whenever his cover-up didn't work, he, he resorts to murder, um, murdering her husband so that she is now free to marry him. Um, so after all of this happens, after David sins, God sends his prophet Nathan to confront him. So we're going to read through it. Um, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to see the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hands of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if this had not had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing more evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Have mercy... Oh, sorry, not yet. Um, so, we see David's sin and God's calling him out on it. 
okay. The next verse, if you jump down, um, it says in verse 13, it says, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan continues on and he tells of the punishments that are to come because there's always consequences for sin and disobedience. Um, it kind of seems short and sweet where David says, you know, I have sinned. Um, remember Saul did the same thing. He says, I have sinned. And, but we know that Saul didn't mean it. Now, how can we know that David really meant it? Well, we find that answer in the Psalms. Psalms 51 says that it was written after Nathan confronts David about his sin with Bathsheba. In Psalms 51, we see David's brokenness and sincerity throughout the whole thing. This is true repentance that brings holiness. So let's take a closer look at his prayer. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin always is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret space. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed re rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So we see... <coughs> David is sincere in his, his um, repentance. This is, this is written right after that. This is his, his reaction to what God has shown him. Um, so we're going to look a little closer at it. I'll leave it up here so you can see. In verses 1 and 2, we see him calling out for mercy. And he's bringing up the attributes of God, his unfailing love, his great compassion. You know, God's ability to, to cleanse him. David knows he's sinned, and he's no longer in fellowship with God. David uses three different terms for his sin. He, and they all mean something just a little bit different. Transgressions means to rebel against God's authority and law. Iniquity is a distortion of what should be. And sin is missing the mark. So David is showing that he knows that he sinned, and he's not excusing it in any way. We need to have that awareness in our relationship with God. Is there sin separating us from God? Do we know the character of God enough to know we can honestly come before him? In verse 3 to 6, um, David has taken full responsibility for his sin. There's no blame game. He realizes that in everything that he sinned against God. Um, how are we after taking responsibility for our sin? Do we blame people like Saul or remember Adam and Eve? You know, do we try to put it on someone else? Or do we try to justify our sin? True repentance takes complete responsibility and feels sorrow over sinning against God. In verse 7 to 9, David is asking, 
for a cleansing, a true cleansing from his sin. He has full trust and knowledge that God can do it. He's not asking God to cover up his sin, but to completely get rid of it, to do a deep clean. Do we want a true and complete cleansing from our sins? Do we believe that God can do it? If so, then there should no longer be any shame or guilt. True repentance brings holiness. In verse 10 to 12, we see David is asking God to make him new. Not just clean, but to create in him a pure heart. He wants God to do a work in him so that he can be with God. He can walk with God. He wants to be in a deep relationship with God that cannot happen when there's sin in our, in our lives. Do we want to be made new? Do we want to become a new creation? Or do we just want the forgiveness and to be left the same? We need God to make us new so that we don't continue the same ways. True repentance brings holiness. Now, in verse 13, which isn't up there, uh, David is telling what he will do once he's clean. He shares with, uh, with others who have sinned and calls them out to come back to God. He says that he... Was it up there? No. Okay, I'm missing a slide, but that's okay. Uh, and because I'm missing the slide, I want to, to read it to you. So... This is my Bible app. I am not texting during my sermon. Uh, so, in verse 13 it says, Then I will, teach your I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will come back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. So, um, he keeps going on, like, Whenever he's asking for his sins to be cleaned, he says, you know, once you've done this for me, God, I want to then go out and I want to share it with others that have sinned. I want to bring them back to you. Uh, so he, he's, he wants his, his, well, it shows his repentance. It's got deeper meaning than just removing his guilt. He wants to bring others into relationship with God. And true repentance brings holiness and it gives us a purpose. Now, verses 14 um, to 19. David is making promises to God, which shows true repentance. So listen to what he says. He says, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I will bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. God, you do not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, the burnt offerings offered whole. The bulls will be offered on your altar. So, we see David, yes, making promises to God. David has done a complete 180. He's praising God. Repentance means to turn in the opposite way and walk in a new direction. Uh, David is showing here how he's going to be different. He isn't bargaining with God or trying to make a deal. He truly wants to go a different way. Do we truly walk in the path that God has for us? Um, to, so that we can remain holy and remain in a relationship with him. True repentance brings holiness. When we are living a holy life with God, we want the things that God wants. We want to please him. 
So when we saw the first king's story, story, how his repentance was not real. He just wanted to keep doing what he was doing, and he wanted God to keep being on his side. Nowhere do we see a heart of change or sorrow for his, sin, for his sins. He's more sorry that he got caught than he is that he hurt God and is out of fellowship with God. We can't fool God. God knows our thoughts, our motives. He knows our hearts. Um, when I was a kid, if anybody can remember, some of you were here when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> I, The same as I was with my sister, I was with God. Um, I was always at the altar um, as a kid to say sorry, to take care of my sins from the past week. But I was never really sorry. I never changed. I kept going back and doing the exact same bad things I did the week before. There was no change. Um, I just finished reading this book called No Compromise by Melody Green. Um, and it was really interesting because God had given me the sermon. It was working itself out. And then I don't know why I decided to pick up this book. Dad had this book from a long time ago. I've had it at my house for years. And I have not read it. But this week I read this book. Um, and the message just went right in with this message. Like I know it was, it was a God thing. Um, but in this book... Uh, Melody Green, she tells the life story of her and her husband, Keith Green. Um, Keith was a Christian songwriter and recording artist and a minister before he and two of his children were killed in a plane crash. So she tells of their journey to faith, how they were into drugs, cult, lots of bad spiritual stuff on their journey to find Jesus. But once they both got saved, then they were on a mission to see everyone saved. They went to anyone and everyone that they knew. They did not want anybody to be lost, so they went and they shared the gospel, not always to benefit at first, but God was working on their hearts. And uh, God did use um, them, use Keith, um, in a mighty way. Um, but there was something that bothered Keith um, when he became a Christian and the longer he spent time in the church. Um, it was the hypocrisy in the believers or the Christians. He felt God giving him psalms and messages to preach to the Christians and is quoted saying, there are a lot of Christians that need to be saved. He was disappointed by and felt that God was deeply mourned by people who call themselves Christians but live like the world. That was when he made his choice that he would never compromise his faith and his commitment to God. Now, God did use him in a big way, um, bringing a great move of the Spirit and calling Christians into true and deep relationship with God. And it started with prayer and repentance. There were many times where the people who heard his message and songs, they flooded the altars. There was even one time they flooded the stage around the piano, um, and they flooded the, the aisles. And they were crying out and weeping um, and repenting of their sins. And most of these people were Christian people, or supposed to be Christian people. Now, if you asked anybody about me as a kid in the church, you would have said that I was saved. I mean, I prayed the prayer, and I went to the altar regularly, but for me, it was fake. It was just lip service. It was all talk, no action. Um, I was no more sorry than King Saul. But... There, was a true, there wasn't any true repentance before this, but when I was 12, um, I knew 
that when I gave my heart to the Lord, for real, everything was going to change. I couldn't have a real relationship with God and still act the way I had been, or even have the same friends. I knew the moment that God was going to change everything, and that he was worth anything that I had to give up. And he was. <laughs> he was more, more than enough. He was more than worth it. Uh, you know, I haven't led a perfect life, uh, but I've never turned my back on God or turned my back on, on my commitment to God. There are times right up until this week <laughs> um, that God has challenged me and changing me uh, with things that I need to give up or get rid of in my life to be completely surrendered to Him. Um, it, I've said this before, but it feels like the more surrendered I become, the more things God shows me I need to surrender. Um, which is, is great, actually. Um, you know, I thank, I, I thank the good Lord, honestly, that I am not the same person that I was when I got saved. Um, that was 32 years ago. And I am not even the same person I was five years ago. I'm not the same person I was six months ago. God is continually doing something in my life. Um, we need to always take an honest look at our lives and see if there's anything getting in the way of our relationship with God. If we want God to work in our families, in our church, and our communities, then we need to ask God to have mercy on us, to wash away all our iniquities, to cleanse us from our sin, to create in us a pure heart and renew a steadfast or unwavering spirit within us. And then we will have the passion for the lost. We'll want to share with them so that they can come to him too. God tells us to be holy as he is holy, and he does not set his people up for failure. David knew that he was unholy. He had sinned and he repented. He also knew who God was and what God could do. David's true repentance brought holiness in David's life so that he was able to walk with God and is counted as a man after God's own heart. His life was not perfect. There were still consequences for his sin. And at the end of 2 Samuel, we see David again sin by not listening to God and calling his senses. But there was a difference. This time you see David immediately realize he sinned and he confesses right away. God didn't have to send anybody to him. It didn't take months for, for God to challenge him on this. He immediately realizes he sinned and he confesses right away. And there was a punishment. Um, there was a plague on the people. And God told him that if he went and he bought this threshing floor um, and set up an altar and, and offered uh, a sacrifice that he would stop the plague. So, when David went to buy this threshing floor, um, the man who owned it heard that David was coming. And he wanted to give um, the threshing floor to the king as a gift, along with the oxen for the burnt offering. But listen to what David says. David says, But the king replied to Aruna, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David wasn't willing to give God something that cost him nothing. What about you? Is there some things that you need to repent of that's keeping you from being holy? Sometimes, most times, repentance is costly. It's a turnaround. It's a going from one direction into a different way, the opposite way. That means we cannot just go back to doing things the same way. So are you willing to give everything? 
your sinfulness, your selfish desires? Or what about things like your hopes, your dreams, your plans? Are you willing to bring them to God as a sacrifice to show your sincerity? According to um, verse 17 in, in Psalms 51, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart and will not despise. God despises lip service. He wants life service. He wants, he doesn't want our talk, he wants our action. Um, to have a relationship with God uh, costs God everything. Um, as we just saw as we celebrated Easter, it's a free gift for us that costs God, Jesus his very life. Now, holiness is a complete surrender to God as we ask God to show us if there's anything in our life that stands between uh, us and him, if there's anything we're holding back from surrendering. Um, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 19 to 26, Paul says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundations stand firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large home there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be the instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Again, we can't fool God. The Lord knows who is his. And it is said, um, when we confess, we need to turn from the wickedness. We cannot continue to do the things that we did. I don't know about you, but I want to be made holy so that God can use me for anything he wants, for any good purpose. The next uh, part of this this passage, uh, some of this here reminded me and makes me think of when it says, you know, we're to pursue, go after with purpose, righteousness, faith, love, peace. Um, it makes me think of, oops, I guess I stopped too soon. Did I not read it all? I'm going to go for it again because... This is good stuff. So nevertheless, God said, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and they, that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who is taking them captive to do his will. So, there's, there's where we go. Um, he says to pursue, to go after with purpose, righteousness, faith, love, peace. This makes me think of Galatians 5, 22-24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with all its passions and desires. Oh, I didn't. 
25, sorry, I should have kept going. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If we're in Christ, we should be producing good fruit. Fruit that comes from our lives. It tells a lot about who, whose we are. The fruit that King Saul produced was wicked, jealousy, dishonesty, things like that, anger, pride, disobedience, a murderous heart. The fruit that came from King, Saul, King David's life sorry, produced devotion to God, love, honesty, integrity, peace, even though his family situation was not peaceful, joy, kindness, patience, and so on. This is a good indicator of where our lives are at, by what kind of fruit our lives display. Fruit of the Spirit or fruit of the enemy? Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 16-23. Oh, no. Okay. I'm just going to read it. Um, he's talking about false prophets, but I feel like it shows a good picture of bearing fruit in our lives. He says, By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruits you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. I don't know about you, but I want to be um, welcomed as a good and faithful servant, um, not told that he never knew me. You know, we can't fake it with God. He knows our hearts, our thoughts. He sees the fruit that we bear. What fruit is evident in our lives? Um... We all need to ask God to show us if there's things that we need to repent of. If the Spirit is talking to you today, don't resist. Come and pray. We're going to sing in just a moment so the worship team can come and get ready. Um, some of the songs from King David that he wrote in, in Psalms 51 that was actually put to music by Keith Green. You picked the music before I ever read the book. Um, if this is your prayer, please come. The altars are always open. If you want to see God move in our lives, we need to make sure we're right with Him. If you've never repented and surrendered your life to God, don't wait. Just come. God is waiting with open arms to meet you. If you do not, if you know that you're not living in the Spirit and have let sin enter your life and need to repent, come. If you feel that you need to come just to fully surrender yourself to God, God is faithful, and he loves us so much, and has so much more for us than this world could ever offer. Please come. Just as our opening scripture said, it says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefit. He who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. The works of the Lord, righteous and justice, sorry, the Lord works righteous and justice for the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. 
He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to, his, to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. He can forgive all your sins. He can remove it as he can remove us from the pit. He crowns us with compassion. Do you want to experience his great love? Do you want your transgressions or sins removed as far as the east is from the west, which is as far as you possibly can go and never meets? Don't delay. He's waiting. 